Welcome to the next episode of The Work, a podcast where we discuss the things you might not expect to hear about work, and we ask our guests some pretty tough questions. Today's guest is Jen Ravelli. Jen is the Vice President of Marketing at PandoLogic, and my co-host, John Sumser, and I are very excited to welcome her to today's podcast. Thanks for joining us, Jen. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. John, did you want to welcome Jen? No, not at all. In fact, um, I'm surprised she's here. <clears throat> I, uh, <laughs> Hi, Jen. How are you? It's, it's, good to, it's good to be talking with you. It's great to talk to you, John. Well, so Jen has been in the industry for quite some time, not to, not to date you or anything, and has a very interesting career journey that intersects with a journey that I think uh, especially women in the workplace, but families in general, have grappled with. And that's the whole issue of infertility, uh, maternity leave, blending work and family somehow, especially when children are young. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, so yes, you know I am the VP of marketing at Pandalogic, but I am first a mom, and it took us about six years to complete our family. After I would say um, a lot of trials and tribulations, but what I think has been really interesting is the way that employers have pivoted towards looking at both family planning as well as maternity has changed significantly over those six years. Um, and I think I've probably experienced some of the worst of it and some of the best of it kind of within that journey. Um, so for us, it, you know, like many women executives, I put off getting married and having a family um, <laughs> well into my 30s. Uh, so my son, Jack, was born when I was 38 in 2019. So he's two. And then Samantha was just born in October, just before I turned 41. Um, but in thinking about and going back on kind of that journey overall, um, I had to make a lot of decisions about not just life and, you know, whether those children were going to even be able to be biologically mine, but also career. And, you know, I think some of the things that I've learned along the way, um, hopefully, are things that can help other people as they're navigating that journey. Yeah, what a complicated situation. Um, when you were talking about that you've seen the best and the worst of it, I, I, I hope we are at a point where it's better than it used to be. Um, I'm, of course, in you know a different age group, and, and my girls are now grown, but when they were young, um, it, you had to hide that you had children. I mean, the idea of, I can remember even when I was pregnant, you know, not telling my boss until like I absolutely had to, like like there was no way I could not show any longer. Um, so what do you think the best and the worst has been? Sure. Uh, so it's interesting you say that because in my first pregnancy, which was not what resulted in my son, um, I actually found out I was pregnant and got promoted at the same time, oh, the wow. same day, yeah. at HR Tech, actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we like to do it up at the conference, yes. <laughs> um, and I can remember feeling this overwhelming sense of guilt of kind of taking on my first executive leadership role while knowing that um, I was hopefully going to deliver twins in like a nine-month period wow. after that. Um, and almost feeling like, should I not take this job because – 
I am going to be, you know, potentially having a family. It ended up that that pregnancy did not actually result in a child. Um, but it was, it's the first time that I felt that pull between kind of whether or not things were going to go well. And I had a very supportive manager um, at the time. So it wasn't that I was afraid. And I probably actually shared too early in that circumstance. Um, you know, my subsequent pregnancies, I've waited until it's, you know, after 20 weeks to be able to tell that this is going to happen so that it actually feels real. Um, but some of the things that I think have been difficult is I found out on a Wednesday that that pregnancy was not going to continue had oh. surgery on a Thursday and I was right back at work oh. on Monday and didn't I give hear you. myself any grace. Yes. You know, in terms of thinking about what was that going to do from a headspace perspective. Right. Um, it was also very different than it is now and the fact that we weren't in a remote environment and I was commuting three hours a day into right. the office. So right. you question you know, yourself on those decisions. And I actually ended up making a, some pretty drastic career changes as a result of that, that probably set back my trajectory. Mm -hmm. um, and while I don't regret any of that, and it had nothing to do with why I wasn't able to have kids at the time, but it, um, it, the mental headspace that you're in um, can really impact whether or not you're ready to make some of those decisions and whether or not they're right for you. And I think similarly now, you know, when you're in a vulnerable place, coming back from maternity leave, like you also don't want to change all the tires on the car at, at one exactly. time. Exactly. Because um, you're already going a thousand miles an hour just by virtue of the fact that you're managing, you know, young children and all your other responsibilities. Yeah. So. Um, one other thing that I think is some of the worst is um, we actually applied for long-term disability insurance uh, probably right after I had my son. And they actually said and declined mental health coverage because I sought counseling for oh, like that's eight weeks after some of that. So yeah. I think there's still a lot of inequity because you certainly can't, you know, take away mental health coverage because someone had a miscarriage, you know, for men. Yeah. Um, so there's still a lot of inequity, whether that's related to work or related to things that protect your income, even, you know, as a working parent. Um, but it certainly has gotten so much better. You know, my, mm -hmm. my first two rounds of IVF were not covered by insurance, so they were completely out of pocket. My last round of IVF was. Mm -hmm. um, so people have started to not only cover kind of family building within the insurance realm, but then also you've been humongous leaps in terms of leave. Like I've been very lucky in both instances where I've been able to take the time necessary to be with my kids, both from the fact that I had employers who funded fully paid leave mm -hmm. and um, employer, and as well as living in a state that has a fantastic family bonding program. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think a lot of, perhaps a lot of our listeners don't even realize how it, how maternity leave varies from state to state and what you can actually fund as an employer, you know, what, what the employee is entitled to, what you can fund as an employer, uh, how you can use PTO or not. And, um, and, and it's like, it's like running payroll across the United States. You really need to be aware of all of the, the legislative changes from state to state. I'm wondering, Jen, do you think that the, the recent focus, and I'd love John to weigh in on this as well, the recent focus on on wellness, mm -hmm. employee well-being, um, do, do you think that that's making us more aware of of what work you know newly newly working moms need in the workplace? 
I think that. I think the fact that with COVID, the amount of women who left the workforce was just overall disturbing and has set us back probably decades in terms of Absolutely. equality and having a seat at the table. Um, and now I think as folks are kind of seeing the catastrophic impact that that has, both in diversity of thought and, and having a well-balanced team's you know, that they want to be able to have folks feel comfortable coming back. And that goes for not just women, I think men too. Like we're also seeing a lot more paternity leave mm -hmm. and, you know, real focus on being able to be present with family. Um, I think remote work also makes a huge difference and impact. And those that are supporting that, you know, will hopefully be able to see much better kind of engagement from folks who are able to be both with their families as well as in the workplace. Absolutely. Absolutely. John, I'm curious. Mm -hmm. Did you have paternity leave when you had your children? <laughs> <laughs> let's let's pick John up off the floor now. <laughs> and, I was and, I was allowed I was allowed to take the evening off to go to the birth, um, yeah. and then I got back on an airplane. Um, Seriously, and um, um, it's it's so interesting to to listen to this conversation because. In my personal experience, I don't understand the slightest bit of what you're talking about, but my kids, my daughter is about your age, Jen, and she just had Uma, who's our second grandchild. Congratulations. Their lives surrounding family and what they do and what their employers are able to do are so different from my experience that I'm saddened and in awe of what's possible today. So, so for me... I, 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 it looks like things have changed mightily um, uh, because uh, uh, boys didn't get involved in this stuff other than to sort of be a witness at the time when I was coming through. You know, you mentioned um, the emotion <clears throat> sad. And, uh, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking, I did feel sad when my children were young. I, You know, I was in a situation where I had to work. I had to balance um, family and, and other family commitments, uh, you know, with other family members as well as my children and, of course, uh, you know, a, a high-powered career that I truly enjoy and, and did not, you know, that I felt that if I gave that up that I would be giving up a big piece of myself and maybe lose myself in the process. I had a lot of anxiety about that. But, boy, I, I, sadness is exactly the way you feel when, you know, you're leaving a meeting at 5.30 in the afternoon and your boss calls you out in front of everyone else, even though you're a member of the leadership team, and treats you like a child because you have to leave at 5.30 to go get your children from daycare. And, and it just makes me sad to think that we even had to live through that as, as working parents. Um, does the woman still bear the brunt, though? Is, is that where it yeah, I'm I'm curious. I, I oh. hate to be that direct, but boy, it sure felt that way to me. So I don't yeah. know. Is it still that way? I'll be honest, and my husband would agree with me 100%. Uh, the mental load still very yeah. much does fall on um, the mother, you know, in terms of all of the, like, like we had a discussion yesterday, actually, about, like, all the things that go in along in my head. And he's like, none of that ever, I never think of any of that. <laughs> You know, Sammy's got to okay, have a her, guy thing. <laughs> her four-month appointment. Right, the yeah. dog needs to go to the vet. The, right, you know, if yeah. I, I'm going back to work and Sammy's got a doctor's appointment on the 7th and I've got a chiropractor appointment on the 8th, like how do I – how does all that balance so that 
I'm still able to be present at work. Like it's the strategizing of that mental load that I think many, you know, husbands may not take on, but I think a lot do. I have a former colleague that actually takes on a lot of the mental load, I think, for his family. So I think it really depends on every family is different. Yeah. Um, but True. I but I do think there's still often that it's two full-time jobs, not, you know, two part-time jobs that you're kind of, as you're kind of building your family as a, as a mother and also trying to figure out how it all works as that family changes. Well, uh, you know, you're making me smile as you talk about that because uh, we are, of course, in a remote work scenario. So my husband and I are both working from home offices. And if you go into my home office, I've, you know, color-coded post-it notes with what's you know, urgent for work, urgent for the family, you know, lower priority for work. And and you go into his home office and he's just sitting there with his laptop and nothing else on his desk. And I'm like, okay, something's truly wrong with this picture. But I do think that we, um, we it's a traditional role, sadly. Even at this point, it's a traditional role. Although I am gratified to hear more and more guys that I talk to say, hey, I'm on paternity leave. You know, I'll be back in a couple of weeks, but I'm on paternity leave. And that was never the case. And certainly by John's reaction, we can tell that he didn't uh, necessarily experience that either. What I do want to do is, is take you back, Jen, though, to you mentioned IVF. Mm-hmm. And and that's pretty intense. Yes. And so there's there's the, you know the emotional ramifications of all of that, but also the physical and keeping up with all of that and keeping up with everything else that that goes into life. What was that like? Yeah. So probably one of the most difficult things I've ever experienced. Um, one because we probably chose the wrong doctor to begin with. So mm. we had a lot of wasted time and probably put my body through things that I never should have. Um, so in the course of that, you know, you have to be before work, you have to be at that office three to four times a week. So there's the draw of like, you have to be there, you have to be checked out and, you know, make sure that everything's working well. Um, but you also can be up to six weeks on medication that can do things to you that you've never experienced in your life. You know, whether that's weight gain or, you know, headaches that feel like ice picks and, Um, things of that nature. But I actually went back and tried to calculate exactly how many injections I had over my journey. And it's probably somewhere in like the 14 to 1500 range. Oh my gosh, Uh, this is a massive (laughs) commitment. Massive. Um, But it's, you know, it's, it's surgery, it's things. And it's also a departure from the fact that like you didn't build a family the way that you thought you might in the, in the first part. Right. Right. You can't romanticize this. Yeah. It's that there's no Hallmark movie moment here. Yeah. And like we got to the point at the first doctor where we were really considering, you know, both adoption, donor egg, like Mm -hmm. things that would really take us away from, you know, being able to, you know, build a family biologically. But like those are choices that folks sometimes have to make. And, you know, we were willing to make those choices if we needed to. um, But we actually were lucky to kind of change clinics. And after someone vehemently recommended a second opinion and we were able to, you know, have a third retrieval that resulted in both of my children. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but like, that was a much more natural supportive process. So it, it doesn't have to be as taxing as maybe it has traditionally been. I think mm-hmm. they've come a tremendous way technologically, mm-hmm. but 
Um, but it's also the idea of the fact that like you're constantly balancing, mm-hmm. you know, having to be out for appointments, having to be out for surgery, like making sure that everything's working yeah. and, you know, not wanting to tell anybody you're doing it. Right. And not feeling well. It sounds like some days you just don't feel well. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's. I, I mentioned this to someone recently because we were watching an old TV show and the person um, was in bed for a sick day. And I started laughing and thought to myself, no one takes time off when they're not feeling well, especially now in a remote work setting, because you figure, well, I can at least gut it out on the Zoom call and turn my camera off or something. So it's an enormous amount of pressure on you um, emotionally, but the physical pressure as well. John, I- I'd love you to weigh in as, uh, you know, kind of what do, you, what do you think leadership's role should be in these circumstances? What level of support should a manager be giving their employee under these circumstances? You know, you know that's, a, that's a, an incredibly challenging question, and it probably has something to do with the size of the organization. Right. If you've got a small shop, um, the amount of support that you can give is entirely constrained. Um, and the bigger the organization is, the more that there's room to to incorporate things. So, so I have a hard time generalizing about what support a manager should offer. Um, um, the the idea that sort of by default, you offer the same level of support in a tiny company as a large company means that from the beginning, you have to hire more people, right? You, you can't you can't say, take this time um, if you don't have a way of solving the work problem that's, that, that arises when, the, when time off is taken. So that means in order to be able to offer Support, you have to have people around who can back that up. And if you're a 10-person company, that gets pretty tricky. Um, when you're at 100, you can diffuse the work around. And, and, and so, so I, I think that, that we need to think harder about the way that we organize work. If we're going to get the right kind of support for people to live fully and, and have their jobs, that it's not just how do you take the existing structure and do something with it, but the question is how do you modify the way that we think about work in general, hence the title of the podcast. Um, but, but the question is what's work, how do you do it, and how do you do work in a way that makes sure that everybody who's connected to the work gets what they need out of the work, with the work, and through the work. So I'm sitting here thinking, you know, if I were, if I were looking for a job today, and and you know, I was of childbearing age, um, I don't think I'd want to work for an employer who wasn't family friendly. I I, I would want to see that in their values. Uh, is that your experience, Jen? Yes. I mean, I think it's got to be a big decision making piece of things, you know, um, whether the people in the executive leadership have kids of similar age and, you know, how how they talk about those kids, I think is also something you should look for and, you know, whether they are, you know, open and, and have had those discussions. Like my boss now has actually had six children in his life. So like he's actually very, um, 
very good about, you know, hey, I know sometimes you've got to right. be there. Um, but that's, I know you're not supposed to talk about it in an interview, but like you are going to work with people more than you are going to be with your family often in terms of the time that you spend and, you know, being able to connect with them and understand what type of person they are and how they embrace that within their organization or their team is um, something that I know I've been very open with, you know, as I've made changes in my career. Um, but I think family friendly and just being the fact that like, and we see so much in job descriptions and where people are saying, this is a um, highly fast-paced, highly competitive <laughs> environment. And, like, that's probably telling anybody who's thinking about having a family that, like, you know what? Like, I may deliver 110% of somebody that's next to me. Right. But, like, I want to make sure I'm going to a place that's supportive. So right. I think people are really having to rethink how what their values are um, and somewhat because they've now personally been exposed to many things that they may not have been in the past, mm -hmm. you know, with remote and having to be home, whether that's with children or with other family obligations. There's also a lot of people who are caring for their parents right now, mm -hmm. too, um, that have, I think, set the bar differently on kind of whether or not you can kind of bring your best self to work if you can't be your best self at home. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really um, delighted on one level that we've had this movement to a more holistic view of the employee. Uh, you know, years ago, I can remember uh, leading teams where I truly didn't know a lot about the people who were on the team in terms of personal life. Uh, and then when you would get a moment, maybe you would be at a trade show and you'd go out for drinks or whatever, and you would hear what they were balancing in their lives. It was like, you know, you almost, I heard you say earlier about how you question yourself. You know, as a, as a manager, you, you, you take a step back and you're like, how could I have not known that this person, you know, has a parent with cancer that they're, they're taking to, to chemo once a week or whatever. I mean, you, so, so we're in a better place, I think. But, um, but I do think there's still this, this harshness about, hyper growth or I've, you know, when I was a recruiter, I can remember hiring managers say, saying to me, oh, well, look at her hand. If she's got an engagement ring on, you know, I don't want to hire her. I mean, like, like, so have we really gotten away from all of it or do we still have miles to go? There's still a lot of miles to go. Um, yeah, not that long ago, I can remember running a health insurance brokerage firm and having employers telling me to take out maternity coverage you know, before, oh. you know, like, so that they didn't have to pay for <laughs> right. it. Type of thing. Um, okay, and then that's a, that's a little unethical. <laughs> I have a um, employee now who she when she came over to my team, and she actually has worked with me for two companies now. Um, she said, "I'm the first boss who has ever treated her like a person." Oh, my gosh. And that she was able to think and be a mom and be great at her job. Mm -hmm. And she says that that's probably the number one thing that she values about our relationship. Yeah. And I also think, like, people are very afraid to be open about things of this nature. And I think some of that's because we've only really recently moved to being your authentic self, both from a leadership perspective and being at work. And I can see differences in terms of how open I am about what's going on with me personally and how open people are willing to be with me as as their leader mm -hmm. um, because of some of that change. 
but you're still afraid. Like you're still afraid someone's going to have a bias against because yeah, you... make a judgment about you. Yeah, or you... about your capabilities. Mm-hmm. You know, like like I can remember I would get passed over for opportunities because they'd be like, "Well, she has young children," and I would go absolutely bonkers and usually leave the company by the way so you know a a bit of a temper in terms of my own career trajectory but I'd be like how could you judge me in the context of work you don't know if I have you know adequate household help or I, I mean like like you can't just make judgments based on the fact that somebody has children yeah. that that should not be a variable because I don't see how the human race is going to continue if we don't continue to have children So like, and I hear people, I hear young women, especially making hard decisions like I have to pick career or I have to pick family. I can't do both. There's that. And there's also people who think, you know, women tend to mid-career not apply for the bigger job. Yeah. A, they may not feel like they're ready for it, but they also, um, and they they need their 100% to feel good enough to apply. Yes, yeah. But they also are sometimes struggling with the fact of that, am I ready to do this with a family? And like what you see is women dropping out of the pipeline for more executive level positions. And, you know, we've got to get over that and we have to be able to push so that we do have supportive environments where women can feel free to be themselves and feel free to, you know, continue to, you know, go up the ladder. It's it's interesting because I've actually I have this dichotomy right now, where I feel very vulnerable in the fact that my two year old is hanging all over me, and like <laughs> it's going to be tough when I go back next right, week. Right, sure. And there'll be some transition, but I also feel at my most powerful at the same time, because I have certainly put in the work. I think I'm out of that frame where I feel like my career. I've proven that I can be successful, that I, you know, my 50% is better than most people's 150%. Exactly. And I know that I can take on more, but I want to take on more probably in 30 to 60 days, not at this exact moment. Uh, and I've actually had to have conversations around that recently because it's, um, I want to make sure that I understand what I'm getting into as I'm going back, but that doesn't mean that I want to stop growing or that I want to stop taking on more. Um, because I do, and I feel like I'm ready for that. But I think that's also sometimes like people don't want to say that they're ready to go back and that they want to have that whole part Mm -hmm. of themselves either. So I think there's a lot Mm. that is still kind of burning in terms of as you kind of approach, how do you continue to accelerate your career, you know, post-motherhood? I I want to bring... ask you both a question. Yeah, John, Um, I I, want to hear from you. I have some questions for you as well. So please go ahead. So, so as as I've been listening, I've been wondering. It seems to me that you two are in a class that's large, but it's still pioneering, and that the um, the reality for most working women, particularly working women who don't have college degrees and pale pink skin, um, is these these questions that you're talking about aren't even on the table. Um, the 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 Flexibility in the lower caste, let's say, is it, the work flexibility lower caste just doesn't exist. And something like 70% of the workforce is in that group rather than the august group that we belong to, where all sorts of things are possible. So my question for you is, how do we solve that problem? Right? Equity, equity up and down the economic spectrum is um, 
absent on this topic. Yeah, and I think some of the things related to what Jean talked about in terms of each state having very different guidelines needs to be there's a lot of movement on national paid leave mm-hmm. and that being something we're one of i think five countries in the world that doesn't have a formal paid leave program at the national level um so i'm very fortunate that i live in new jersey who gives 12 weeks of bonding leave on top of whatever else right but that's not the case like you, you know you go down to a- another state and um they may not have any so if your employer doesn't give you any, you don't qualify for FMLA and you, mm-hmm. you don't have anything um, from a state perspective, then you basically have nothing and you also don't have any income at the same time. And you know, that is probably I actually shared something where there was a woman, she delivered her baby at 27 weeks and she had to go back 12 days after she had that child because she had no paid leave. Oh my gosh. So that baby's certainly in the NICU. Right. Um, and you know, there, there's that, there's more of that than there is of states who are providing paid leave, you know, which you're actually paying for yourself because you're paying money into the system um, that are really, you know, there's not enough progression there. And the only way to truly solve it is a national paid leave program, like every other country that is progressive, you know, progressive yes, in the world. Absolutely. <laughs> we, I, I have to, I have to agree a hundred percent. We, we fall short in this area. I know when um, I've had the good fortune to travel, of course, not in the last two years, but, you know, when I've had the good fortune of traveling, for example, throughout Europe and having conversations with people, and they they just, like, can't figure out how we could be this powerhouse, this economic powerhouse, and treat our families so poorly that there's nothing on a national level to protect us. Um, you know, John, I have, to, I have to push back a little bit, though. I, I'm not sure this is... A problem that HR can solve. I, I I think this is such a huge problem. So many economic disparities in our country, and to you know Jen's problem uh, point about just state to state. Um, what do you think can be done about it? I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 a generational question, right? It's it's and and you have people in my cohort don't uniformly share the views that people in Jen's cohort do. Um, there's, a, there's a change going on. There's a sea change in our culture going on. And the hardest part with sea changes is that you have to wait for them to happen. <laughs> it doesn't look to me like politics and national policy is going to be an answer anytime soon. We're losing ground in women's rights rather than gaining ground in women's rights. And and the idea that a family, in spite of what the right wing might say, that a family is some sort of sacred thing that you need to cherish and support, it's not what the, it's not what the um, vocal, very vocal minority who seem to be controlling things right now say. So, so I'm, I'm at a loss for how you solve this, except business by business, HR department by HR department. And it's going to take, you, you know, HR departments are largely women-led. They're largely women-led. And so it's going to take those people standing up and saying, this is what we need to do for the company and for our people. 
um, because you can't rely on national politics to solve it fast enough. It's a great point, John. I don't know if either of you have seen kind of the movement on show me your leave that's been happening I across social media. I um, know you also belong to an organization called Chief. And yes. I'd like you to touch on that as we, we just uh, have a few minutes left with you today, Jen. So I want to make sure that we get that in. Awesome. Um, so show me your leave is basically companies are sharing openly what their leave policies are and sending that over LinkedIn and then challenging other companies to show their leave as well. So John is right. Like the only way to circumvent it quickly is certainly through a company by company, you know, perspective. And we are seeing good momentum there. But I think some of the pressure from other companies who are doing things like providing, you know, 16 weeks fully paid, um, you know, and as well as NICU leave and things of that nature, miscarriage leave, like thinking about things from a family building perspective, as well as just overall, like company mental health days where everybody's Mm -hmm. off. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of to recharge for yeah. these recharges that are that. not regular holidays and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it's going to come down to companies challenging other companies in order to secure the talent that they need to be ah, more progressive. OK, so there's there's the linchpin right there, because if I want to be, you know, if I have to compete for talent, then I have to be an employer of choice. Exactly. And so, yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, you know, again, only have a few more moments with you. Tell us about Chief. I know you're part of this organization, and I, I, you know, I'm not going to profess to know anything about it. So, tell our, tell me, tell our listeners, and and how is that helpful in your career? Ah, uh, so Chief has probably been the best decision I ever made in my career. So Chief is a network for women who are either sea level or rising sea level, um, and you have to interview to get in. So you have to be nominated by a member and you have to be interviewed to um, see if you can be a part of it. But what you do is you actually um, work with a cohort who you meet with monthly with an executive coach who leads that. And you all tend to be in similar places, both career-wise, family-wise, et cetera, so that you can help each other kind of navigate. You also get a tremendous amount of networking opportunities across that chief network. Um, they also have fantastic resources like um, the Rich Talent Group, who does board and executive recruiting through kind of the chief network and tells you what to expect and things of that nature. Michelle Obama is doing a program next week. Like, um, But really, the whole idea is women supporting women. And you know, one of the key things that I know Jean knows about my leadership style mm-hmm. and is it's all about lift as you rise. And that's what Chief is about. Chief is about bringing the next group of women leaders forward and supporting them through that journey so that they can be better leaders and that they can continue to rise through organizations. So I've been very privileged to be a member for the last uh, two years. And um, I think without that, I don't know if I would feel like I was in a strong enough position as I as I do now. Yeah, no, that's great. It's great to have the learning. It's great to have the validation. Um, but it's great to have the networking. I think especially at, you know, in the last two years, one thing we've all longed for is the connection and to rebuild the connection and find ways to network it with each other. Um, that does bring us to time. Jen, before we sign off, would you please tell people how to get in touch with you? Absolutely. Uh, so I am on LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Facebook, you know, the whole nine yards. <laughs> My life is an open book. Uh, but I am Jennifer Ravalli on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter as um, Jen underscore Ravalli. So 
if anyone wants to get in touch, I'm always willing to talk. I'm always willing to support other women going through similar journeys and, and just in general, um, anybody who's, you know, wanting to kind of network in any way. Thank you, Jen. Thank you for sharing such a personal perspective. John, uh, over to hey, you for closing comments. Thanks so much, comments. Jen. It was, it was awesome to be part of this. It was, it was wonderful to see you when you can't see me. Aw. <laughs> <laughs> it's always great to, to talk with you, John. So I'm very lucky because Gene and John are two of my favorite people. So Aww, this thank is a real honor for me. <laughs> thank you so much, Jen. And that wraps up this episode of The Work. Thank you.